theyeshiva.net. of the longest chapters in the entire Torah it has 67 verses Genesis chapter 24 has 67 verses and what makes it so long is that there is a story in that chapter that is redundant it's repeated and at first glance it seems completely extra, excessive, unnecessary, it's superfluous. And this is of course the story of the servant of Avraham, Avinu, of Abraham going to search for a life's partner for his master's son, Yitzchak, Isaac. Avraham, the Torah says, is getting old and he summons his servant. The Torah does not identify the name of the servant, but the commentators identify him as Eliezer. And he asks Eliezer to go back to his hometown, Charon, and find a young woman who would be a suitable wife for his son Isaac, for his son Yitzchak. Eliezer asks, what happens perhaps if the woman doesn't want to follow me? Back here, should I bring Yitzchak there to Charon, to Mesopotamia? And Avram says, no, Yitzchak must stay here. But you are absolved from the oath that you have accepted upon yourself that you will follow through and bring my son a suitable kala and a suitable bride. There is something very interesting and very problematic in this story that I want to address with you this evening. Open up source number one in your curriculum the PDF right below the video you see there is a PDF curriculum open up source number one Eliezer is talking to Avram Avinu after he asks him to go to Charon and bring back a woman for Yitzchak the servant tells him Ulai perhaps the woman will not want to follow me back to this land, to Canaan, to Canaan. Shall I return your son to the land from which you left? Eliezer asks his master. To which his master says, absolutely not, Yitzchak must remain in this land. Granted. Okay. So Eliezer says, perhaps she doesn't want to come. And Avram says, don't bring Yitzchak back. God will help you out, and if not, you're absolved from your commitment. Now, Eliezer comes to Charon. We know the story. He stands at the well. He talks to God. He says, 
help me find the right wife for Yitzchak. Girls are going to come by here to draw water from the well. I'm going to ask one of them to give me water. And if she offers me water and also offers water to my camels, I know she is the right one. And of course, that's what happens. A young girl, a beautiful young woman named Rebecca Rivka comes by. Eliezer asks her for water. She offers water to him and water to her. His camels, she offers him hospitality in their home. He comes to the home. And he begins a conversation with her family. What we would expect is one verse. Eliezer shared with the family everything that happened and he asked them if he can take Rivka back to Canaan. But that's not what the Torah does. The Torah repeats the whole story. We now read the entire story a second time. But now it's not the story the way it's unfolding. It's the way Eliezer is repeating the story. Vayoymar Eliezer says, Eved Avram Anoichi. I am a servant of Abraham. And Abraham, uh, God blessed my master. And he had a son Yitzchak and he summoned me that I should go find a wife. And I told him this and he said this and I told him this. And I came here and I went to the well. The whole story he now repeats, the story which we know already. We know what happened. Avram summoned him and spoke to him and negotiated with him and charged him and sent him and he went and he spoke to God. He now says everything. And when he finishes repeating the entire story, he says, now, please give me Rivka and let us go. And of course they hesitate until the end of the story. Finally they agree. Rivka says, I want to go. And she goes and she marries Yitzchak. When Eliezer repeats the story, take a look at source number two. We now travel from Genesis 24.5 to Genesis 24.39. Nice amount of verses. 5 to 39. Eliezer tells the family of Rebekah, I told my master, Perhaps the woman will not want to follow me. Rashi notices a very important but subtle change. The first time, Ulai is with a Vav. The second time, Ulai is without a Vav. The first time, when the story actually happens, and Eliezer turns to Avram in the beginning and says, maybe the woman will not want to follow me. The word maybe, the word perhaps, Ulai in Hebrew, is with a Vav. Aleph Vav Lamed Yud. The second time when Eliezer is repeating the story to his hosts and he's telling them what he told his master. Perhaps here Ulai is without a vav. Zakhtrashi, source number three. When the word is written without a vav, there are no vowels in a Torah scroll. So there are no vowels you can pronounce the same word in different ways. Ulai with a vav, you can only pronounce one way. Ulai. Ulai, without a vav, you can pronounce. Ulai, you can also pronounce it Eli. Eliksiv. To me. Eliezer had a daughter. And he was looking for a plan that Abraham should turn to him and ask him that his daughter should marry Yitzchak. Avram said it's not a good shidduch my son is from the category of baruch blessing you're from a different category and we're not a good match so when he says 
Ulai, it says a lie. I told my master a lie. Make the shidduch with me. Make the match with me. I want my daughter to marry Yitzchak. But Avraham refused. The source of this Rashi is Medrash. Source number four, we have the Medrash. Medrash Rabbah Bereshis Chayesara. Vayoymer Elov Ha'evet. Haduhu Diksiv. The servant told Avraham, maybe the woman will not want to follow me. Haduhu Diksiv. This is the meaning of the verse in Isaiah. Knan biyadai meizne mermelashik ahiv. The Canaanite in his hands are scales of deceit to snatch the beloved. Knan zeliezer. This refers to Eliezer who was from Canaan. Biyadai meizne mermel in his hand were scales of deceit. He was weighing in his mind his daughter, is she worthy or not worthy, to rob, to take, to snatch the beloved one, the beloved one of the world, Isaac. When he told Avram, she might not want to follow me, what he meant was, is I hope she doesn't follow me, and then I will be able to give Yitzchak my daughter. Here there's a major question, and I'm sure some of you thought of the question. Let's think about the question. There's a major question here. And that is, where do you think the Ulai without a Vav should have said? Should have it said the first time the story happened? Or where it says when Eliezer repeats the story? Where does it make sense that the Eli should be indicated in the Torah. When Eliezer is talking to Avraham Avinu when the event is happening, and the Torah is recording the event as it's unfolding, or when Eliezer is sharing with his hosts his conversation with Avraham Avinu. What do you think is, where do you think it's more logical to put the Eli? Naturally, the Eli should have been put the first time. When Avraham Avinu summons Eliezer and says, Go to Chorah, my hometown. And bring me back a young woman for my son Yitzchak. And Eliezer turns to him and says, Perhaps, Ulai, the woman will not want to follow me. There it would make sense that the Torah should put an Ulai without a Vav. And Rashi would explain, why does it say Ulai without a Vav? To teach us that Eliezer was saying a lie. That really he had the hope that the woman will not follow him from Haran back. And his daughter would marry Yitzchak. And that's when Avram told him, no, it's not a good match. So when would this exchange between him and Avram happen? The first time when they're conversing about it. So that is when the Torah should have written Ulai without Avav. When the story unfolds for the first time, Avram sends Eliezer. Eliezer speaks to Avram and says, maybe she will not want to come. So Rashi is telling us the Torah is saying Ulai without a vav because really Eliezer doesn't want her to come back because he wants his daughter to marry Yitzchak. Why does the Torah decide that the Ulai without a vav should be the second time? When Eliezer is not talking to Avram, when Eliezer is talking to his hosts and he's telling them what he told Avram, that he shared with Avram and said, perhaps the woman will not want to follow me. When he's talking to his host, is it really relevant to know that Eliezer really didn't want she should follow him? 
because he wanted his daughter to marry Yitzchak. On the contrary, not only does it make more sense to be put the first time when the story is happening, because that's where it's relevant when he spoke to Avram. Furthermore, the fact that it's placed the second time would seem completely contrary to logic. Because if his host, if Rebecca's mother and father and brother would sense that Eliezer doesn't really want it to happen because he wants his daughter to marry Yitzchak, that would only assist them in making sure it doesn't happen. But Eliezer was trying to persuade them and convince them to send Rebecca with him. By Eliezer telling them that really I want my daughter to marry Yitzchak. So really I would prefer if Rivka stays with you. He is undermining the entire mission. He's destroying the entire objective. <laughs> Eliezer here is trying to get them to agree. Eliezer is telling them a story to impress upon them the importance, the significance, the divine providence of this journey and the fact that Rebecca is the right girl for Yitzchak because she is the one whom God designated for Yitzchak because this is the sign he made. He's trying to show them in a very illustrative way how they should feel happy and privileged to send Rivka back with him to marry Yitzchak. And yet when he speaks to them, he's giving them a subtle message which destroys the entire mission by telling them, you know, you don't want it to happen. I also don't want it to happen. I want Yitzchak to marry my daughter. The fact that the Ulai without a Vav says the second time seems completely absurd. First of all, it belongs the first time, not the second time. When the story actually happens between him and Avram Avinu. Not the second time when he's just repeating what happened earlier to his house. And second, even more important, by mentioning it there, by Eliezer even indicating it to them, he's absolutely destroying what he's trying to accomplish to actually get her to come. And if you say that he didn't mention it to them, it's just the Torah says it without a vav, then the question is even stronger. Why does it say it here, not the first time? And this question is not on the Medrash. The Medrash that I quoted of source number four is on the words Vayoyimar HaEved, which is actually the first time. But the Rashi is on Ulai without a vav, which is the second time. In order to understand this, we have to understand the, the, quest, the biggest question on this whole story. Why the redundancy? 67 unnecessary verses in a chapter. You could have avoided dozens of verses. Eliezer came to his host and didn't say anything. You don't have to specify what he said. Say Eliezer told them the whole story and he said, now give me Rivka. One verse. And you would have saved yourself dozens of verses. Why the need for the redundancy? So Rashi addresses this question from the Medrash, a famous Medrash. What does Rashi say? Source number 6. Take a look at source number 6 in Rashi. Omer Rebacher Rebacher said, The conversation of the servants of the patriarchs is more beautiful to God than the Torah of the children of the patriarchs. 
the portion of Eliezer is doubled in the Torah, it's repeated again in the Torah, and many actual laws of Torah were communicated through hints. There are many great fundamental laws in Torah that we derive through an extra letter, an extra word, through a hint here, a hint there. And yet the portion of Eliezer is written and then it's repeated all over again. So Rebbe says, from here we see that the conversations of Avdei Avis, of the patriarchs of our fathers, more beautiful to God than the actual Torah, the actual laws of the children after Sinai. You can't compare. Here he gives Eliezer 67 verses, a huge chapter in Genesis, all redundant, or a big part of it redundant, when it comes to the actual laws in the later books. Great laws. Take the laws of Shabbos. Shabbos. The 39 labors that are forbidden on Shabbos, we learn not. An extra hey here, an extra letter here, an extra letter there. Extremely brief, extremely concise, through allusions, through hints, through intimations. Because the conversation of the patriarchs of our fathers is more beautiful than the Torah of the children. And here's the question, why? The patriarchs were great. Their servants were also great. But why is it more beautiful than the Torah, the actual laws that God gave to the children on Mount Sinai? Why? Rashi doesn't explain. He says, this is what Rebbe said. Also, why does he use the word Yafa, more beautiful? Perhaps he should have said, more important, more critical, more vital, more telling. Why Yafa, beautiful? What's the concept of beauty? Why would we call it beautiful? There's another difference. When it comes to the patriarchs, the servants of the patriarchs, he says, The conversation of the servants of the patriarchs is more beautiful. From the Torah of the children. There is a distinction here between between the conversation, means a conversation, and Torah teachings. The, the difference is simple. The story about Eliezer is about conversations he's having. About camels, about food, about straw, about hospitality, about deals, about an oath. It's conversations. It's what we call wheeling and dealing. Torah and Shalbanim is about Torah. It's about the laws. And yet, even the conversations... The casual conversations of the servants of the patriarchs, not the patriarchs, the servants of the patriarchs, Avdeyavos, their casual conversations about camels and straw is Yafa, is more beautiful than Teros and Shalbanim, than the actual Torah, than the sacred law, than the constitution of the children, which only strengthens and intensifies the question why. We know that in Torah every word is concise. Every letter is concise. There's not a superfluous letter or word. And here there's verses upon verses repeated. When it all could have been clear and avoided with a simple verse, Eliezer told them everything that happened. I'm going to share with you an explanation. It's a fabulous explanation, I think. A very profound one as well. It's based on two sources. One is the Svasemes, who is the second Gerer Rebbe, 
in the name of the Kotzker Rebbe. The Holy Kotzker gives us one idea. And another part of it is based on a talk presented by the Lubavitcher Rebbe on Shabbos Chayisora Tovshin Lamed Vov. Shabbos of Chayisora, the portion of Chayisora, 1975. By the way, before we go further, if you remember last week's class about the Shalshelas, that rear note that exists only four times in Chumash, and one of them is in Chayisara, where, look at source number five, it's when Eliezer comes to the well and talks to God and says, God, please do kindness with Abraham. Take a look at source number five. Vayoymer Hashem alekei Adoni Avraham Hakrin alefonai Ayoym vasei Chesedim Adoni Avraham. He says, God, my Lord, the Master of Abraham, make it happen for, for, for me today. Do kindness with my Master Avraham. The girls are going to come to the well. When I ask one to give me water, if she gives me and my camels, Oisay Chach that this is the right girl. On the word Vayoymer, he said, at the well, there's a Shalshelas. Why? Why? The shalshelis is the note of ambivalence. It's the music of indecision, of doubt, of a zigzag. The shalshelis looks like a zigzag. It goes back and forth, back and forth. The note keeps on repeating itself as though the person is stuck in some type of paralyzing process. Why? What's the Vayoymer? Because Eliezer asked God to help him, but he also simultaneously, there was a part of him that did not want this success. Why? Because he wanted his daughter to marry Yitzchak, like we explained before from Rashi from the Medrash. And it's this Shalshelas. It's this note, Vayoymer, that begins to share with, tell us the answer. Now let's understand. The Ulai is said by Eliezer. Twice. Once when he tells it to Avram with a vav. Once when he speaks to Rebecca's family members without a vav. There the Ulai without a vav says the second time when Eliezer says, Eli, I want her for me. I want him for me. I want Yitzchak for my daughter. The Shalshelas, the musical note of ambivalence, is in the Vayoymar in the first story, the first time he says it. When he actually goes to the well and he speaks to God, there there's a Shalshelas. When he repeats the story, there's no Shalshelas. So when it comes to the musical note, the story of Eliezer's ambivalence is the first time. When it comes to Eliezer's words, a lie, the story of his ambivalence is the second time when he repeats the story, not when the story unfolds. What is the significance of this? It's been suggested by many, it's not a new idea, that the book of Genesis, the book of Bereshis, in many ways, is also a book of psychoanalysis. Besides it, of course, being many other things, and the first thing is its Torah, it's the divine blueprint for life. It's a book that's filled with psychoanalysis. Plots, subplots, sub-subplots. And the Torah, can, to understand a lot of the stories, we have to understand the truth. 
that people are often unaware of the processes happening within their soul when they are doing something or saying something or thinking something or emoting about something or involved in something. The process of the complexity of the human spirit, the fact that we are multi-layered, multi-faceted, multi-dimensional creatures. And what I may be feeling on one level may be the opposite of what I'm feeling on another level. What I'm saying on one level may be the antithesis of what I'm thinking on another level. Not necessarily because I'm explicitly trying to lie or be deceitful, but because I am not always aware of the complexity of my own psyche, my motives, my consciousness, and my way of operating. And this is a very fundamental truth, particularly about the book of Bereshus. To understand the story, we have to understand the many layers in which people operate. And here we will see a perfect example for this. And that's what I want to explore with you now. The Heleke Kotzke Rebbe says a gewaldige insight. Eliezer did not know consciously that he is opposing the shidduch, the match between Yitzchak and this girl from Haran. It was in his unconscious. Consciously, Eliezer was a completely loyal servant of Avraham. We know his opening words when he speaks to his host. What are his opening words? Three words. Vayoimar. Eved Avraham Anoichi. I am Abraham's servant. Three words. But this is his life. Eved Avraham Anoichi. In fact, as I'm going to discuss later, his name is not mentioned in the whole story. Why not? He is the hero. He's the one who got the job done. Abraham sent him. Yitzchak was waiting passively for the wife to be brought to him. Who is the man who gets it done? Who's the hero of the story? Who's the active hero of the story? Eliezer. Does he not have his name? Does he not deserve his name to be mentioned? His name is not mentioned once. You wouldn't even know who it is without the commentators. He's continuously called Eved, 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 Eved. Vayoymar Eved, Vayoymar Eved, Vayelech Eved. The servant, the slave. Without a name. And he identifies him. Vayoymar, he says, he doesn't say, Hi, Shalom Aleichem, I'm pleased to meet you. My name is Eliezer, I work for Avram. No, he doesn't have a name. Vayoymar, Eved Avram, Anoichem Avram's servant, he doesn't have a name. Consciously, he didn't feel any opposition to the Shidduch, to the match. Abraham said, Go to my hometown, Charan, and find a lovely girl for my son, Yitzchak. Eliezer was completely committed in his consciousness, in his emotions and mind and words and thought and actions to go fulfill Abraham's will and desire. He was unaware of the fact that unconsciously he didn't want it to happen because he wanted Yitzchak to marry his daughter. It's true he had a conversation with Avram Avinu. He told Avram Avinu he would like his daughter. Avram Avinu said no. And Eliezer thought he got over it. He doesn't want it. Avram doesn't want it. I don't want it. I'm fine. I'm Avram's servant. 
So when he went on his mission to go find a wife for Yitzchak, he was unaware of the fact that in the depth of his consciousness, he still did not want that this girl should be found for Yitzchak or that this girl should be willing to follow him. Because really he wanted that ultimately one day Yitzchak will be in a situation, he will not have a wife and he's 40 years old, and Avram will say, you know what Eliezer, let's get, let's, let's, let Yitzchak meet your daughter. Now, because Eliezer opposed it unconsciously, despite his conscious efforts to make it happen, it couldn't happen. Because there was a force within him that was working very hard to make sure that it doesn't happen. This is true about many people's lives. Sometimes a person will tell you, I really want this to happen. Yes, I'm behind it completely. But they sometimes don't want it. They may know that they don't want it, or they may not even know that they don't want it. And in their depth, they oppose it, and therefore they make sure that it doesn't happen. Again, this may all be unconsciously. They may be undermining themselves or other people on one level. I'm not talking about a person who's lying. That's another situation where they're, they're, playing, too, they're, they're playing a game. I'm not talking about a game. I'm not talking about a deceitful, despicable game. The person on one level really wants it, but on another level they don't want it, and therefore they will manipulate the situation indirectly, unconsciously, sometimes beyond their awareness, to make sure that their objective never gets materialized. In Tanya, in Rabbi Shnei Zaman of Liad, is Tanya, there's a lovely expression in chapter 12 and in other places, some thoughts you have to push away with two hands. What does it mean to push away a thought with two hands? Why can't you push away a thought with one hand? You don't push away thoughts with hands, with arms. You push away thoughts through thoughts, through other thoughts. What the Al-Tirebbe, what Rabbi Shnei Zaman of Liadi means is he's intimating a certain condition. Sometimes a, pers- a person pushes a thought away with one hand, but with the other hand they're inviting the thought back like this. You have to push some thoughts away with two hands. So now, let's understand this. As long as Eliezer was unaware of his subconscious opposition to the marriage between Yitzchak and Rebekah, the marriage could never materialize. Who was stopping it? The one who was trying to make it happen. Eliezer himself unconsciously was not allowing the marriage to be completed. Why? Because there was a voice, an unconscious voice in him, which he didn't know about, that did not want it to happen. And therefore, unconsciously, he found every way to make sure that it wouldn't happen. Now, you'll understand why this story is repeated in the Torah. Which at first glance... It's mamish redundant. It makes no sense. So many verses to repeat of a story for a story. The story was not repeated just to tell us the story a second time. Nobody would do this, and certainly not the Torah. As I said, the Torah could have said Eliezer told them everything that happened. Or even if you want to tell us, say Eliezer told them everything with all the details. <laughs> Say it. The Torah has to tell the story all over again. You know why? 
because when the Torah repeats the story, something happens in the repetition that didn't happen the first time. When Eliezer repeated the story, a new story emerged. A new plot emerged which did not exist the first time. If the Torah would have just said Eliezer repeated the whole story, you would think he repeated the story that happened. But during his repetition, a new story emerged. And it's that story, the new story that is being said now. What emerged? When Eliezer repeated the story to them, when Eliezer started to share with them everything that happened, suddenly he realized that he didn't want it to happen. Suddenly he realized that he wanted Yitzchak for his daughter. He did not want Rebecca to follow him. He was hoping she would refuse, her parents would refuse, she would not want to come with him. Only when he repeated the story, when he went back into the story, when he dissected the story, when he reanalyzed the story, when he retold the story, suddenly did he become aware of his pnea, of his ulterior motive, of the fact that he had a very different agenda. That is why the Ulai says the second time. When Eliezer said the first Ulai, in his mind, what was he saying? What if the woman doesn't want to follow me? When he repeated the story to his hosts and he said, Ulai, he realized. When he said, maybe, it wasn't just a maybe. It was a, I hope she won't follow me. You know, sometimes perhaps can mean perhaps, and sometimes perhaps can mean a subtle wish. Perhaps, I hope she won't follow me. And when he realized that he had a different agenda, when he realized that it was a part of him, that did not want Rivka to marry Yitzchak because he wanted his daughter to marry Yitzchak. Suddenly, he can quarantine his ulterior motive. Suddenly, he can isolate his personal agenda. And he can declare to them, Eved Avram, Anoichi, despite myself, I'm a servant of Avram. And that's when the Shidduch happened. You see, monsters live in darkness. Skeletons live in shadows. Demons love disguised situations. Ghosts operate where everything is covered up. When you shine the light on them, they usually dissolve, they nullify it. Because they grow, they reproduce, they procreate in darkness, in shadows. When you know what they are, you can deal with them in a much easier fashion. It's like with fear. Usually the greatest fears are the fears that people don't talk about. They're scared to talk about it. They're scared to confront. The moment you confront the fear, very often the fear becomes a lot smaller. Think about the biggest fears you have. You'll see if you confront them, if you actually talk to the person about it, 
they will turn out to be far smaller than you ever imagined they were because their greatness came from the fact that they lived in disguise in secrecy and there they can operate freely and when you shine a light on them suddenly they're, they're much weaker than before so here's the paradox as long as Eliezer didn't know about his shortcoming as long as Eliezer was denying his flaw he was actually opposing the Shidduch unconsciously the moment he identified it he said yes there's a part of me that doesn't want Yitzchak to marry Rivka there's a part of me that has a personal ego and agenda that wants to undermine Avram suddenly okay this is a part of me this is who I am, it's part of who I am, let me quarantine it, let me identify it, and paradoxically now, he can become the true servant of Abraham. Now he can become the true shliach, the true emissary of Abraham. Now there was no opposition anymore. It was identified, and it was quarantined. Now the shidduch happened. It happened. And that's why the shalshelas is in the first time the story is told. The Ulai is the second time the story is told. The Shalshel is the music, which music represents the unconscious. Music is a bridge to the heart of hearts. Music is not, which is, music is not articulated in words. Music represents that which can't be articulated. The first time when, a, when Eliezer is standing at the well and he speaks to God and he said, God, help my master Avram, send me a young woman who's good for Yitzchak. There's a shalshelas, there's a, there's a sound, there's a music. He says, but he doesn't say. He speaks, but he doesn't speak. He prays, but he doesn't pray. He prays for a girl and he prays that it shouldn't happen as well. Where does it finally articulate itself in words? Where is the bridge between Eliezer's unconscious and conscious? When he becomes cognizant of his true feelings, that's when he repeats the story, and that's why the Torah repeats the story, because something new happens. Eliezer identifies the Eli. The Ulai was really an Eli. I don't want this shidduch to happen. I don't want this marriage to happen. lest you think that this minimizes, this destroys the image of Eliezer. It shows us that really he also has personal agendas. He's also disloyal. He's also in it for himself. Ultimately, when push comes to shove, he's thinking about himself, not about Abraham. Comes the Torah and tells us a very powerful message. No. His name is not even mentioned here. In other words, the Torah recognizes him as the ultimate Evid of Avram, as a true servant of Abraham. But why? Is this called a true servant? Is this a genuine servant when you have an underlying ulterior motive? And it's not just an ulterior motive. You want to do what Abraham does, but for what you want what Abraham wants, but for a different reason. It's not just an ulterior motive. It's an ulterior. It's a different agenda. You want to undermine what he does. This is an evet. And yet the Torah not only identifies him as a servant, doesn't even tell us his name. In other words, the Torah doesn't see him as having an individual personality divorced from Abraham. The Torah sees him as a continuum, as a complete loyal servant of Abraham. Because the true definition of a servant, the true definition of a loyal student, disciple, messenger, is not that you don't have agendas. And it's not that you don't have an ego. And it's not that you don't have your own desires and your own issues and your own wants. You know what it is? 
It's that you're honest about them. It's that you don't lie to yourself and you don't lie to others. It's that you don't start deceiving yourself that every feeling that you have is sacred and every part of your identity is holy. Why? It's not me, it's Abraham. It's when you start deceiving yourself that every motivation of yours is holy, paradoxically, that's when you're not capable of being a servant anymore. Because the underlying forces of evil within you will undermine the actual work. But when you're open, when you're honest about your shortcomings, when you can say, a lie, I know there's a part of me that doesn't want Avram should be successful. I know there's a part of me that's not interested in the fact that the shlichus should be successful. I know there's a part of me that would rather undermine the work, but that my daughter should get the position of Yitzchak, should get Yitzchak. When you're honest about it, when you're open to your shortcoming, when you know the truth and you say a lie, I know Avram wants Yitzchak to marry a girl from Chara, but I would sacrifice that because I want my child. I want it to remain in my family. Be honest. Be open. Say a lie. Then you can identify it. You can isolate it. You can quarantine it. And you can say, despite that, Eved Avram Anoichi. Notwithstanding that, I'm a servant of Avram. And Avram wants that this mission should be fulfilled. That I should bring the young woman from Charan called Rivka. As the Midrash puts her, the rose among thorns. Bring her back to Avram. Now we'll understand that term, Rabbach says, why this redundancy? Why does the Torah repeat this entire story for no purpose apparently? And the answer is because this repetition teaches us one of the most beautiful and powerful ideas of Judaism. Again, why the redundancy? What did we explain? So that Eliezer can become aware of his alter agenda. That he should be able to become aware of the fact that he has a very different perspective. It's the repetition which brought out the subplot of Eliezer. This is represented in the term of Sichoson Shal Avdeyavos. The mundane conversation of a servant of the patriarchs. Servants of the patriarchs. The Talmud says in Masech Tegitin, Avde Behefkeire Nichele. Avde Behefkeire Nichele. On Eved, Vil Hefkeiris. On Eved, a slave by nature is looking for the frivolous life. He's not looking for commitment, for loyalty, for obedience. Behefkeire, he wants frivolousness. He wants an illicit life. A lie. He wants his own cravings to be fulfilled. Not Abraham's desires. A lie. It's a conversation. There's a mundane component to his life. Then you have Torah is sacred, divine, holy. Bonim are children, they're not slaves, they're not servants. A servant is detached from his master. On the contrary, he's forced to be there for his master. He's compelled. It's not organic, it's not natural, it's not essential. A ben, a child, is part of the father. A ben is organically connected with the father. 
Sichason of Avdeyavos versus Tairason Shalbonim. Sicha is mundane, Eved is detached, Tair is holy, Bonim is attached to the Father. But there's a beauty, there's a yoifi, yofes, sichason Shalavdeyavos, more than Tairason Shalbonim. Why? What is beauty? Beauty is born from symmetry. Beauty is born from harmony. A beautiful symphony, a beautiful piece of art, a beautiful voice, a beautiful piece of furniture, a beautiful physique. Beauty comes from the merging of paradoxes, of different colors, of different ideas, of different concepts into a unified, symmetrical mosaic. That is what beauty is. In Seichasan Shalav Deyavaz, there's a yoifi, there's a beauty. In the merging of paradoxes, in the fact that a person is torn. On one hand, I'm interested in a lie in myself, not in Avram. But there's another part of me that wants to be committed to Avram. And it's that merging of paradoxes that the unholy becomes permeated with a vision of holiness where beauty lies. Not in the fact that I am holy and I have nothing unholy about me, but the fact that there is something unholy about me. The fact that I may have a very powerful ego or very deep flaws, and yet I can isolate it and identify it and talk about it, and still say, but I want Avram Avinu's vision to be implemented, and I'm going to be there for my master. That's beautiful. Toirasun Shalbanim is holy, transcendental, spiritual, holistic. But the symmetry of paradoxes, the harmony of disparate forces that exist in Sichasun Shalav Deyavos. This is true about every person's life. Everyone has flaws, everyone has shortcomings, people have different agendas, and sometimes these agendas are very dark. Everybody has their own different types of skeletons or demons or shadows and security stuff that they deal with. Don't get discouraged from the fact that these forces exist in a very powerful way. The main thing is be authentic about them. Be honest about them. Don't let them be repressed in your unconscious so that they undermine your life. And they undermine other people's lives sometimes in the name of idealism. Recognize the fact that you have a divine soul but you also have a beastly soul. There's a part of you that's sacred. There's also a part of me that's profane. It's a part of me that's selfless. It's a part of me that's selfish and narcissistic. I have to identify it. Be honest about it. Not lie to myself. Not lie to others. Not decide that I am holy. That I am an exercise in holiness. That everything about my consciousness and my psyche is sacred and holy. That I am a reflection of Abraham. No, I have to be able to say a lie. And still, together with that, you and I are capable of dedicating ourselves to Abraham. And becoming a shliach, a messenger of Avram. And becoming an Evid of Avram. Knowing that there's a conflict in me. And I'm ready to work on myself. And go beyond my arrogance, my pompousness, my ego and my agendas. To fulfill the desire and the mission of Abraham. And it's to this person the Torah pays tribute and says he achieved his goal. He doesn't have a name. Because he's Evid Avram Anoichi. He's a servant, a servant of Abraham. I once saw one of the Hasidic works. I think the Imre Yosef, a beautiful interpretation, he said, a servant of Abraham I am, so he said this, Eved Avraham Anoichi. The Avoida of Avraham 
is to reveal the Anoichi. Eved Avram, what is the work of Abraham? What is Avram all about? What is the mission statement? What is the core identity of Avram? Anoichi, to reveal in the world the truth of Anoichi, Hashem Alekecha, that is one God. That is Avram. Realize, you're giving me Rivka to go to Avram's family. What is Avram? Eved Avram, Anoichi. The Avoida of Avram is Anoichi. So Eliezer now realizes there's two parts. One part says, Eli, me, and one part says, Anoichi Hashem Lekecha. It's my eye, God's eye. A superficial eye and the real eye. Identify the eye. And then you can realize that your calling is to transcend it, to ignore it, maybe one day to transform it. Depends on the person. But even before you transform it, Eved Avram Anoichi. You're a servant. You're a real servant. Because you identified your struggle. You identified your flaw. And you decided that despite your flaw. You will not let it stop the mission. And you will be here to fulfill the mission of Avram. And cause the ultimate marriage between Yitzchak and Rebecca. The founding fathers and mothers of our people. Good night. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.